Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast. Oh Janine, it feels good to not be on the side of cheating our own rules again. Yes, that felt a little dirty. (laughs) Breaking the rules. (laughs) No, no, I feel like the title character of this movie that we're talking about this week. I know, would would our portraits have... uh age tremendously going past 1975 breaking our 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 rule on the show yes yes they would have done i mean as 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 much as we obviously love and adored the opening episode to horror in october on it's a wonderful podcast the willard and ben retrospective that was still 70s it still always feels i love 70s movies i do but it still always feels just a little bit like this is it's a wonderful podcast the 70s doesn't belong here um burnt offerings 1976 certainly didn't belong here but it was a great movie so we wanted to talk about it and that was last week but we are back in the realm of the years that we mostly focus on on this show Episode 233 of the main show, Janine. We are taking it back. We're in the mid-40s for a pretty famous literary adaptation and a pretty damn famous, creepy, horror-fueled story. Even though you could, at times, simply focus it or simply think of it as a romance drama or at least a personal drama yes i think it's got plenty of horror tendencies to it though and very very interesting philosophies in it as well we are talking about the picture of dorian gray from 1945 today a first time watch for me and this might shock people because morgan likes old horror movies from the 30s and the 40s but no this was a first time watch for me, Janine. Same I mean, for me as well. And we're going to do a bit of a deja vu talking about oh, the interesting 2009 remake. I mean, there's there's been quite a few. There's been yes. quite a few um, movie adaptations of Dorian Gray. There was one before 1945. I think there was a couple of silent ones. Yeah, there's one in the um, 70s. I one in the like 70s. European made one. Um, but yeah, I think this is probably the most mainstream adaptation. It of, is. Um, it's a big Hollywood and, adaptation. Yes. With your kind of bigger name actors and things like that. So well, certain, certainly one pretty big name actor who is always nice when he when he pops up every now and again on this show, who's George Sanders, who I just love deeply for just yes. playing all kinds of characters very all. underrated actor voice he really everything is. he can do so many things which we're going to discuss as when we get into this but certainly yes, i mean his voice his voice Iconic. is just so. unbelievable and i always i always try and do an impression of it and, and never quite can never quite yeah, can he's, it. A toughie. he's a toughie he's a toughie you really have to get right down into the back of the throat to, to try and to try yeah. and do an impression of George Sanders, but he is uh, he is our Lord Henry Wotton in this 1945 
uh, Dorian Gray adaptation. Dorian Gray himself is played by what I, who I thought was some sort of robot from a 50s sci-fi movie, but actually works really well. Yes, it's what you need for this character, yeah. Um, so I really like him. I actually temporarily forget his name. I'll look it up. It's her I, something, I think. I will, I, will, I will look it up once we do. Get into what, it, yeah. Yes, once we get into it. What we, Once we do what we have to do at the beginning of every week. Um, or an episode of every week on this podcast feed, Janine, because we are here, of course, to say a big thank you to all our wonderful patrons of It's a Wonderful Podcast. We cannot do what we do without the support of our lovely patrons. They are delightful people, and we love them dearly. We do. And we want to just simply say thank you. If you would like to join them, go to patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one. Find the tier that is right for you because we have a whole bunch of fun stuff over there. Support us in our podcast feed on through our YouTube channel as well. Um, and all the stuff that we have doing. We have never been creating more content around It's a Wonderful Podcast than we are at the moment. And it's very exciting. Yes. So yeah, if you want to be a part of that and join these wonderful people, patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one, or find the donation link in the description. But let's start by saying a big thank you to Marie Zambino. And thank you, Adam Witt. Thank you to Michael Smith. Thank you, Maxwell Haddad. Thank you, Amber Coates. Thank you, Abby Friel. Thank you to 90s Comics Box, Janine's big brother, Justin. Thank you, Video Drew. Thank you, Tina Farrow. Thank you, Marcus Burton. Thank you to Steve, Movie Fenobi. Thank you, Samir Tesfai. Thank you, Patrick Harden. Thank you, John Mariano. Thank you to Carla Feast. Thank you to the great Ken Napsock. Thank you to Tom and Kimber of the Odd Shape Channel. Thank you, Eric Garcia. And thank you, of course, to Billy Pollahan. Yes. What's the guy who plays Dorian called Janine? Herd Hatfield. Herd Hatfield, not Herc Harvey, the director of Carnival of Souls, which uh, I naturally go to. We also covered on the show. The we did that one. Was that like last? Yes, last, yeah. uh, last year. Weird, weird movie, yeah, Carnival of Souls. Trippy, yes, <laughs> I do remember um, talking with you about that. About oh, I kind of want to do Carnival of Souls, and you're like, I've never heard of that. I can't describe Carnival of Souls, do you? Just no. <laughs> it was absolutely bizarre. Yeah. Um, but go and listen to, you know, the episode we have talking about that, if you are so interested. But Dorian Gray, Jenny, the picture of Dorian Gray, are you familiar with this story? Was uh, are, you, are you interested in this story? Um, I was kind of aware of the character. Um, I didn't really see any depictions of them until... <laughs> A little superhero movie called The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, goodness me. Uh, based on a comic series uh, where I guess all of the heroes are like, you know, Victorian era, uh, like London uh, literary figures. Um, yeah. And, and they come together to be like this, I guess, superhero team. Uh, so you have like Tom Sawyer and Alan Quartermain and um, what's her face? Harker. Um Mina Harker. Yes. Uh the Invisible Man. Uh so you have all Wait these a minute. Kind of, Hold yeah. on, hold on a minute. Now, admittedly, I've never seen 
the uh, <laughs> extraordinary gentleman. I believe it was what early two thousands, mid two thousands, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, why is Dorian Gray and the Invisible Man and Mina Harker hanging about with Tom Sawyer? That seems really random. Yeah, yeah. Why is Tom Sawyer involved? He's grown up like a, a sharpshooter, Tom Sawyer, and the, I, I think uh, the plot leads into like this underlying thing that like Alan Quartermain is his is his unknown father. Uh, we have Ca- Captain Nemo. Um, oh, of course. <laughs> yes. Just, just James and, yes, and he has the Nautilus. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so we have our little superhero team, and one of the members is Dorian Gray. I see. So I knew there was a thing with Dorian Gray and him not, never aging and him having this painting. But I kind of, what I took from that movie about this character was that he could not look upon the painting because the painting aged with, yes, all the bad things he did, but would kind of take on the aging for him so that he could stay young and basically not die. So, like, you know, when he's doing fights and things and people are stabbing him, it's not doing anything to him because the painting is, is okay. keeping him immortal. So, so that's, that- yeah, so that movie portrayed him like that. And then he ends up kind of being, spoiler alert for <laughs> Link of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> that nobody cares about. Yeah, he ends up betraying the team. Um and oh, because he's in, just so terrible and corrupt. Yes, he, he ends up he ends up working with the bad guy. Brilliant. And in order to get rid of him and take him out, he is shown his painting. And the painting obviously looks old and hideous. Okay. And so when he lays eyes on the painting, it's like a Medusa kind of thing. He lays eyes yeah. on the painting and then the painting sucks it all his life away and kills him. And he ends up looking like the the kind of ugly skeleton dead corpse on the painting. And then I the painting, see. and then the painting turns into the young version of him. I see. So well, all this time, that since that was my first kind of depiction of the character, that's what I was expecting that the kind of magic of the painting and, and and that kind of story to be. Yeah, almost this kind of um, negative use of power, as yes. in like he gets his power, but in a rather bad way. Yes, like because the painting is giving him good powers. Yes, but oh. he can't look upon it. That's exactly. kind of the yes. And so, like when they first, I think, go to recruit him, they go to his home, and he has all these paintings on the wall. But you see this kind of uh, shaded spot where a painting once was, right. but it's obviously been removed. So then I kind of knew the thing of like, okay, he can't have this painting visible where people can see it. So yes, that movie kind of gave me a sense of this character, but kind of had a different depiction of of what it actually is in uh oscar wilde's story so yes in terms of the actual supernaturality of the situation i suppose dorian gray's attitude towards his own painting is fairly similar he doesn't like to look at it no well who would it's terrible (laughs) um because he, he he kind of regrets the wish he made upon a star at the beginning of Mm -hmm. the story um now i read the picture of dorian gray some years ago now and remember precious little about it because that's how i read things i read things enjoy them them and and then just barely remember them (laughs) yeah um no that's not the case with everything but 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 some things it, it it does tend to be but i do remember enjoying the story yeah um what I kind of got and I suppose realized again from watching this movie 
is just how kind of scathing it is as a, a commentary on kind of aristocracy, on narcissism and, and arrogance. I mean, the narcissism comes naturally with it. Like, it's about literally about a guy that wishes for his own youth because he sees himself as the most beautiful thing ever yeah. and puts all the aging process onto his painting puts all the evils yeah all his evils and sins and yeah he puts all the bad things he does his guilt everything onto this painting but i really can't i really kind of i understood from watching the movie and admittedly this is probably because i am obviously more of a movie watcher than i am a book reader and i'm able to probably spot things easier thematic wise in movies than i might be able to in books even though they're obviously very very similar it just seems to come more naturally to my mind that this is um this does not have a very high opinion of, of british aristocracy english aristocracy and why would it oscar wilde was irish why would it why would it have a good impression of english aristocracy it views them all as so full of themselves so up themselves so gossipy, yeah. So gossipy. Very much caring so, about just societal stature and standing yeah, and nothing so else really selfish. matters. Yeah. So morally reprehensible. And the obvious, you know, image of that, the depiction of that is the painting, the picture itself of Dorian Gray. Because he makes this, you know, we, we open the movie with Henry Wotton being our kind of main character with George Sanders, um, who is sporting, Janine, a delightful piece of facial hair yes. in this movie. <laughs> Unfortunately, not moustache hall of fame worthy, as it is more of a Victorian goatee yes. that he's got going on. But it's still pristine and i love it, it dearly yeah. on george sanders <laughs> yeah, i think he pulls it off phenomenal. very well yes so um, he's kind of the social gossip um wanting to know what's going on uh echoes of his character in all about eve yes which is great like he plays that so great like that's what i love about george sanders he has that great voice he has this presence he can play very kind of sexually ambiguous as well which is interesting for the time you know um you know he he feels very fluid but he can also kind of be your charming leading man as well uh a romantic in, in something like uh uh the ghost and mrs mirror um even though we don't side with george Sanders no no but you could see not on, but you could see him romancing yes but you could see him romancing somebody like he did in that film um yeah. so yeah he definitely has some great range but this is kind of his nice pocket of of the thing that he does really well just kind of the fast talking rumor spreading he's almost like that really kind of annoying lady on the train in, in a brief encounter he who is. just wouldn't shut up just talking that's about exactly all the gossip he's like. and talking shit about everyone and just non-stop rambling that's how i am when i'm kind of like telling some like scandalous story about a thing that happened with somebody um so honestly yeah. just things i loved about george sanders's <laughs> performance in this movie was his delivery of his lines and I know that sounds very simple, just from being a, a an actor, particularly at 
you know, in the forties when, when line delivery was everything, but the fluidity of his line delivery, yes. not just the fluidity of his perhaps sexual ambiguity or orientational ambiguity, which I think is fair to say, because let's not forget that Oscar Wilde was gay. So maybe there's a bit of inputting, yeah. used to say, perhaps, perhaps I mean, there is. The, I mean, the remake definitely was inputting something. Well, the remake, yeah, well, <laughs> the remake. We'll talk about the remake afterwards, won't we? A drastically different, adapt a different style of adaptation of Dorian Gray, has to be said. Um, but he's able to just move through his train of thought so smoothly and seamlessly, yeah. All the while being really, really quick with his speech, yeah. But just kind of, he's almost saying four things at the same time, but really eloquently, and it's it's fascinating to listen to. Not to mention the fact, obviously, again, coming out of George Sanders' mouth with his, with his voice is just particularly kind of, I can't take my eyes off this. This is just magical line delivery. I love it so much. Yeah. Which, when you compare that to Heard whatever his face is, who's playing Dorian. Hadfield, yeah. Heard Hadfield, who, admit, who I actually think gives a great performance because yes. I think this is exactly what he's supposed to be doing. He comes across like some sort of statue. Yeah, as he's very stoic, he is, very quiet, very kind of short with his temper, short with his tone, short with his words. Very, very, kind of very few words. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he he is he embodies the statuesque beauty of Dorian Gray. Yes. But without this... any of the charm of George Sanders or the others, even Basil, the you know, the artist himself has a human quality, a charm about him. Yes, a sweet Dorian doesn't have kind of any of it. He yeah. is purely kind of run as a person by his or by what he thinks of himself, by this yeah peer pressured beauty that it has been put on himself and look henry doesn't help this janine no henry doesn't help this at all well, he henry sparks might... he's he sparks the the whole wish in the first place i think he does he does yeah. he keeps going on doesn't he in this in this opening couple of scenes about oh you have the two things that are really worth having um youth and beauty and it just kind of, this is a young man who is kind of struggling with becoming someone. He doesn't quite know who he is, Dorian. He's, you know, in the in the middle of stuff. He's in his early twenties, yeah. um, and he's very, very easily influenced yes. by someone he sees Henry as an incredibly important figure in you know, high London society. So he basically does everything Henry tells him to do. He goes wherever Henry tells him to go and brings him along with him. And he takes all those philosophies that George Sanders is constantly spouting in this movie. I mean, these are fascinating to listen to. He just thought process on things as well. He's talking most of the time absolute nonsense, but you can't help being 
quite interested in what yeah, he's saying. I mean, we hear George Sanders try to like just casually talk Dorian out of feeling guilt over uh, a suicide he potentially, you know, he feels like you know he caused. And, yes. and and George Sanders is trying to trying to like put this positive spin on that and like it's, it's kind of deplorable and disgusting but also just with his charm it's like it's admirably deplorable yeah, yes and this is what this is what i mean when it when i say like this is so clearly to me now just so condemning of english aristocracy because these people just being incredibly blasé about the horrible things they're causing for other people and not caring one bit because I have a bit of a reason behind what I'm doing. Yes, or I can justify I'm it just in my doing mind. it for fun. Yes, I can justify it in my mind and I'm above any kind of criticism because of where I sit on the social exactly. you know, stature. Uh, so you can't really tell me anything. You can't make me feel bad about whatever you know so i think that's why dorian is able to also kind of push away a lot of guilty feelings for so long because he has somebody like george sanders in his ear kind of telling him no you're you're perfectly you're you know blameless in all of these situations you know george sanders is ingraining (laughs) this mentality in dorian yeah um and that's you know that is a hell of a lot of of the thematic nature of this movie it is what Dorian is taught to think about himself and taught to think what he can get away with doing because of who he is yeah, and what he looks like and where he stands in society. The painting knows better. The curse of the painting knows better than this. Yes. Yeah. And I I thought there was going to be, you know, like they weren't going to show us what this painting looked like until the very end. So I'm glad we got moments where we got to kind of see glimpses of it, glorious glimpses of it at that. They do wonderful Um, things with the painting. I mean, framing around it, um, which we'll get to, um, you know, how they position Dorian in front of it when bad things happen and things like that so yeah Yeah. i'm really happy i was worried we weren't going to see this portrait you know how it looks by you know over the years until like the very end of the film but i'm glad that we got several glimpses of it kind of they do really i mean they do a really interesting thing with it as well don't they in the the first time we see the painting and in its kind of normal format when it is just you know basil's just painted uh, the picture and we kind of get this reveal almost yeah and there's and there's almost this... into glorious color yeah for just one shot on yeah. this painting the rest of the movie's black and white but that happens a couple more times later on yeah. in the movie when the painting becomes uglified shall we say yes it's it's definitely one of the moments where we get these glimpses of it in color it's just kind of i think depicting that this thing is kind of alive um which the yeah. remake did try to do with some terrible C- cgi but this film just tries to illustrate with yes. this, with, thing, this you know, film was intelligent about it yes and didn't come off uh, as goofy yes and i mean there was already some secrecy behind this painting from the beginning because uh you know we have george sanders kind of narrating that uh his friend basil is making this painting of this this new person in town this new 
socialite person and he's very he's been working on it for for a long time he doesn't really want to tell george sanders anything about what he's doing but george sanders is determined and nosy as hell to figure out like what are you doing why are you painting what's taking so long what is it so that's when he kind of barges in to kind of see and meet dorian and that's kind of our introduction so there's already this kind of looming secrecy about the painting before the story kind of even kicks off yeah, because even Basil's kind of reluctant to allow Henry to meet Dorian because he just sees Henry as the world's worst influence. Yes, but uh, Basil also has this kind of transcendent feeling about this painting that he's making of Dorian as well. So I, I think, think he's, maybe a, he's a very mor- he's, to... he's our one morally good character. I think Basil yes, isn't he? But I want to say I'd like to think that that added to kind of creating the magic of what this painting ends up doing aside from kind of his wish but you know basil's talking a lot about how he he put himself into this painting he feels connected to it in some way yeah and you know he feels like he's put some kind of humanity into it in painting and he's never felt this with any other thing he's painted so the fact that they took time to really emphasize how basil felt uh, about this painting in terms of anything he's anything else he's created i think that was also kind of trying to invoke this life into it and then you know him making that wish and, and creating that spell i think just latched on to the life that it was already kind of underlying with, yeah. with basil kind of feeling this way about it it's very soulful yeah you know it, it's kind of a very soulful story about about putting everything into your creations and I suppose this this again is quite mirroring of Oscar Wilde, really, isn't it? Putting so much of yourself into what you're writing, your your creations, your art, in whatever format it may be. You know, this movie, yeah. this story, this painting is incredibly like that. It is, like you said, Basil putting his soul into the painting. Dorian literally then putting his soul onto the painting yeah. and becoming soulless himself becoming yeah. unhuman you know unnatural then and it's the painting that takes on all of his darkened soul that, that yeah. you know kind of um gets very very horrible over time very very horrible over time i did just also want to mention it's not actually george sanders narrating this movie oh no it's not it's not it's cedric hardwick yes who is a great actor himself as well i can't remember the last thing he would have showed up in on this show but i know the last thing i saw him in was he played frollo in charles lawton hunchback of notre dame 1939 um yes yes you're right my mistake um but no he's he's basically coming it's kind of a third it's just when you hear that voice when he's kind of coming in it's a very similar voice yes Yes. and i thought it was and i remember kind of hearing and i did it's not and i did yeah 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 and i I just wanted to give cedric hardwick his his due yes because we 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 like cedric hardwick as well um but no i I love that about kind of this story as well, how it, it just seems to be very, very personal. There's a lot of Oscar Wilde that goes into this story, I think. And I don't know a great deal about Oscar Wilde. I simply know that he was incredibly devoted to his 
you know, his writings and that he was gay and that he was Irish. That's about all I know. And that Stephen Fry absolutely loves him. I know that as well. Um, so that, that's about all I know of Oscar <laughs> Wilde. But I see all of that in the picture of Dorian Gray. And I think that is that speaks to how that speaks to how good it is as a as a as just a story, I think, as a kind of piece of work, just as a thematic exploration. Because there's a lot of its own creator in there. You're able to have that personal touch. You're able yeah. to have that real deep kind of sympathy that you do have for the characters, but everybody feels even even Dorian, obviously, who is you know, soulless and unhuman for for most of the movie because he's just out doing whatever morally reprehensible yeah. things, doing whatever he wants without a care in the world because it just all goes on the painting. That even that comes from originally a sympathetic angle because it's not painted as though it's Dorian's fault. It's painted as though it's the system's fault for allowing Dorian to believe his own greatness yeah which he doesn't actually have it's just something that's been that thrown upon him yes particularly with people surrounding him like yeah. alexander's character and um i think in, in maybe something that speaks Arrogance. to oscar wilde as well yes that's something i think that maybe speaks to oscar wilde as well is the depiction of the male relationships they're not super masculine you no. know testosterone filled you know male relationships they're very much more deep and emotional absolutely um, with these three men and and uh and so i think that's something else you know that probably speaks to you know what he was trying to portray with with these characters absolutely um, like dorian is described not as handsome but as beautiful yeah and and you know i think he portrays that really well he has this kind of delicate aggression he's very very um, delicate yeah you know, heard, heard, whatever his face, Hatfield. Heard Hatfield. Heard Hatfield. He's a very delicate-looking man. Yeah. He's a very... He's not even boyish-looking. He's just... Pretty. He's pretty. He's pretty. He's yeah. soft. Um, yeah, so I, I do like that the male relationships aren't, you know, inherently... Uh, strongly masculine like men we saw in films around this time um yeah um you know gary cooper this ain't no <laughs> robert mitchum this ain't you know yeah. it's yes. it's very much uh very very feminized which is a good point there janine i like that, oh, thank you. I like that. <laughs> um how do we feel about the their relationships to women then because a notable actor we have in this movie. Yes. Well, we have a couple actually, a couple, of, couple mm -hmm. of notable women in this movie. Um, one is Donna Reed, who comes yes. in about halfway in the movie as, a, as an is, older she's version. She's essentially our queen, as she, <laughs> you know, with the namesake of our show being in that film. That's true. Um... <laughs> That's true, actually. She, she bow. is. Bow to Donna Reed. We must always bow to Donna Reed. She doesn't show up often. On the show, admittedly. King and queen of the podcast. Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart, Stewart and, and Donna Reed. And Donna Reed. Sure. <laughs> <Our> um, <namesake. laughs> 
evil Satan of the podcast, Lionel Barrymore. No, we, we like Lionel Barrymore. <laughs> I like Lionel. I do like it's Lionel. It's not uncle's fault, no. <laughs> Uncle Billy's fault. Thomas Mitchell. Get rid of Thomas Mitchell. We don't He's like Thomas one. Mitchell. We do, yeah. we do like Thomas Mitchell. <laughs> we also like What's-His-Face, who plays Clarence, who I forget the name of now. Why do I forget the name of him? Henry something? It's definitely called Henry mm, something. Yeah. Um, Henry Steed? No, that's... No, I don't know. Stop <laughs> trying to think of the guy who plays Clarence in Wonderful Life. Janine! I stopped studying. I stopped studying. Um, <laughs> but yes, one is Donna Reed, who plays Gladys, who is Basil's daughter. Who oh, no, she's his, his niece, right? Or his niece, or his niece. Or yes, and isn't she like Shirley that? Temple when we first see her? Is that Shirley Temple? It, I don't think that was Shirley Temple. wasn't Shirley Temple. This is 1945. That yes, definitely wasn't Shirley like, Temple. It looked like her. No, Shirley yeah. Temple would have been... Shirley Temple would have been far too old to be playing such a small okay. child in 1945. Shirley Temple was a 30s, 30s, 30s. child. Okay, okay. Um, it did look a little bit like Shirley yeah. Temple, I will admit. But we do we see need her, her when she's a little girl yes. when... Um, uh, George Sanders and uh, first comes to to see Basil doing the painting and meet Dorian and she's yeah. there. She's she's taken up with Dorian already as like an eight year old. I mean, she needs to calm down. Yeah, she's already kind of very planet. smitten. She's already very smitten with him as a child. Like he's her favorite person. But she grows up in the second half of the movie to be Donna Reed. But in the first half of the movie, Janine, we get only the second ever film role of Angela Lansbury. Oh. She comes straight after Gaslight. Yes, well, she was just the worst. <laughs> she, she's not doing. Evil. She she's still playing a Londoner in this movie, of course, but she's not yeah. putting on a ridiculous Cockney accent, which I quite liked. Oh goodness, yeah. <laughs> um, because that's exactly what she was doing in Gaslight. Well, I'd say her Cockney is way better than some others that we've seen. <laughs> Ingrid, Ingrid, I'm sorry. Ingrid's Cockney was was <laughs> not good. <laughs> oh, and it wasn't, was it? It no, was it terrible. Was it was not. It was terrible. What was Ingrid Bergman doing, Doctor uh, Jekyll? I don't know. That was Tracy, really Dr. bad. Jekyll. That was really bad. I mean, Marlena Dietrich, hers was not good either. <laughs> yes, but that was a put on. That, that was at okay. least supposed to she, be a fake. <laughs> Yes, fair, fair point, fair point to Marlena. We're but, not yeah. any negatives about Marlena. <laughs> you know how many times I have to talk about how much I love Witness for the Prosecution. For so the Prosecution is a great movie. So you know, I will not inherently hate on it. But... No, <laughs> but Angela Lansbury's yeah. not doing that. Angela Lansbury instead gets to give us some uh, of her lovely singing voice. Yes, so this is kind of where we get a lot of these social uh, separations yes. and the kind of the, the concepts you you discussed about you know them kind of thinking they're better than most people and and kind of this disdain for uh, you know through the work showing the the kind of higher stature people as as deplorable uh, in in Oscar Wilde's work. Uh, this is kind of where we we see that that shift happen. Uh, Dorian, he goes to this uh, pub and sees her singing uh, and kind of becomes very taken with her. 
and starts his relationship with her. They have this whole little romantic scene where he just shows up after hours just to hear her sing that song just for him. Like he'll pay. <laughs> I like her mom. Like he gives the mom money to, to have her sing kind of privately for him. And so she's like, the mom's like, oh yeah, you'll sing for him, right? Come, come sing for him. And she's like, I'll on, do let's it. Take but... his, let's take his money. <laughs> yes. And so she takes the money from her mom. And she's like, I'll do it, uh, you know, if you, you know, you don't have to pay. And so she tries to give him the money back. And then the mom is like, oh, she's silly. Don't mind her. And the mom takes <laughs> the money back from him. Um, well, why shouldn't the mom, why shouldn't the mother take the money? Yes. The mom should be taking the money. Yes. That, the, 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 these are not, you know, wealthy people. No. Angela Lansbury's family. She She's making a bit of a living of being a pub singer. Yes. She's very good at it. I mean, the instant Dorian arrives in this pub as well, I think the patron of the place says stops everything that's going on, to, looks at him and just goes, oh, we're very honoured to have you here, sir, or something like that. Yeah. He's, oh, a gentleman, a gentleman in the two turtles. We're very honoured, sir. It's just like, oh, stop playing up to him. He yeah. doesn't need any more you're, playing up to you. Just need any more you're feeding his ego. ego stroking. Stop feeding yes. Dorian Gray's ego. It's the worst thing you can do. Yes. You know what so, he's capable of. But I think that's definitely just more things peppered in there to show the the difference, the societal yes. differences. So that what what comes later, um, definitely you, you get that guilt and villainizes again more the that, that side of society um it's like okay quickly we fall in love with angela lansbury to be fair perfectly easy to fall in love with angela yeah, lansbury she's gorgeous. In this movie. young angela lansbury i mean angela lansbury is delightful at all ages isn't she but she she is she's very good looking as, as a youthful yes. person yeah she's beautiful um, um so then he he proposes marriage they're, they're to be engaged he when he shares this news with his you know fancy socialite friends they're very Henry. much <laughs> yes they're very much kind of throwing a lot of shade like oh um how wonderful george sanders his <laughs> eyebrow could not be more raised if yes he he's very kind of shady with his response and very kind of putting down of him you know wanting to marry below his station type thing but and george sanders has a little plan doesn't he? he's a little a little game a little bit of fun that he wants to to see play out and this is, I think, the absolute worst thing anybody does in this movie. Murder is committed slightly later in this movie, Janine, but I think this, <laughs> this is, is the worst thing anybody does. And it is Henry telling Dorian Gray to say, no, just, just, just say you don't want her anymore. Just say you don't want her. If she really wants you, she'll come back and then you'll know she's good. You'll, you have to test it. So be mean to her. Yeah. Be and mean if she comes to her, back, leave. And if she comes back, then, then marry she's her. she's the one. Let's play yeah. a game. Let's not play a game, George Sanders. Yes. Let's not play awful. a game. What does Dorian do? Go and plays the game. Starts yeah. acting horrible to poor Angela Lansbury. Let me just remind you, this is after we get more of Angela Lansbury singing, which is just great because I love Angela Lansbury singing. Bed Knobs and Broomsticks one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah. And whenever you know you get one of the you get you get these actors sometimes that you can just tell 
you, you almost memorize mouth movements of when they're yeah. pronouncing words. I think Angela Lansbury's got a very pronounced way of speaking where she like, I don't know. I, she moves her lips incredibly precisely. Yes. I've always kind of noticed this. I don't know where I'm hyper-focused on things from bed knobs and broomsticks as a child, probably so many times, but I noticed it in this movie when she was singing just I recognized old memories of just watching Angela Lansbury's <laughs> mouth make singing noises and just oh, <laughs> recognizing exactly what that is like. I'm like that with Emma Watson as well. Yeah. Like I can tell I'm actually, I found it when we were doing the Purge movies. We're still doing the Purge movies <laughs> on, 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 uh, on Morgan hasn't seen, but in the first movie, Lena Hedy, Lena Hedy, I can never say her last name. Lena Hedy, Hedy, whatever you whatever you want. I think it's Hedy. Lena. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm so used to seeing her as Cersei Lannister, when she's doing an American accent, I can tell the exact syllables she's not quite hitting. Oh, that's so weird. Because of the way she's the way her mouth looks and how I know that that position on her mouth I know what that sounds like because I've seen it that many times. <laughs> like I said, I'm like that with Emma Watson because I've watched Harry Potter so many so times. Much, yeah. And I found this with, like, with Angela Lansbury. I can't name any men that I'm like this with. <laughs> I don't really know why. But maybe it's maybe look into that psychoanalyst. Yes. You know, yes. Why is he so fixated on the way women's mouths move? <laughs> When they pronounce certain things. Yeah. Very strange. <laughs> but I did notice it with Angela Lansbury. But what happens to Angela Lansbury? Angela Lansbury becomes distraught, Janine. Yes, he right. Well, I mean, even before that, we get a bit of a meta moment where he's reading her this oh, poem. And she's like, who is this poem by? And he says, oh, someone named Oscar Wilde. So, no, it, it, I thought that was so funny, the movie, doesn't it? Yeah. So I, I like the little meta moment. Um, uh but yes, so then he kind of is cold to her. She leaves. And then he writes her this terrible letter, breaking up with her, saying, you know, he doesn't love her and she needs to just leave him alone. And, you know, she has caused so much, just making him feel like, a, a, um, you know, I don't know, like, what is he kind of puts it all on her for making him feel a certain way. Like, um, you know. Yes. You and your low classness, or whatever, something like that, you know, are just bringing Has me brought down. Brought me down, and you know, I can't deal with that. So, uh, but the know. thing is, he actually doesn't personally believe any of this. No, he's just he's saying it, writing. and he gives her a bunch of money as compensation for your heartbreak, like he says, something like that. Why um, would, why, I don't understand why he would do this thing, but it is the—it's so horrible. Yes, it's and just so the, her reading this letter and holding this money and just her expression is just so heartbreaking. Like, she's completely, she can't move. It it looks like she can't breathe. Like, it looks like she stopped breathing. Poor Sybil Vane. Yes, and so he just breaks her heart with this terrible letter. Um, And then as he looks up at the painting, he sees like there's a little bit of aging on it. Like it looks yeah. almost a little older, like around the mouth. And he says it kind of has a bit of a kind of 
sinister expression like a sinister kind of smile happening on it like the expression has changed slightly it looks a little bit older and this is kind of his first big act of of something sinful something terrible um something that leaves him guilt-ridden that he's now starting to realize um that when he does things like that it's going to affect the painting so then that's when he kind of comes to the realization that like did my wish come true is this really happening um and so that's that's a big realization moment of the power of the painting um when he finds out the next morning yes so he immediately realizes oh my gosh this is wrong why did i do this i i can fix this i'll write her back telling her i love her and i'm sorry and i didn't mean any of it and i'll get her back and it'll all be fine and you know just all excited that he can fix this so he's in he writes this letter he's about to have someone go take it to her when here comes george sanders to tell him and he has no idea and he lets him know that she has in fact killed herself just out of the heartache and grief of him dumping her in such a disgusting deplorable way and he is heartbroken he is yeah and you would think at this point dorian gray learns a lesson but no he doesn't no he he just has george sanders prattling on about oh you know i would i would i would love for women to commit suicide over me you know that's just a a sign of status and 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 your desirability you know i would i would kill for women to 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 kill themselves on my behalf you know what a lovely way and and yes and he's just saying his fast talking oh where's the sherry do you have some sherry i can have all this like while just trying to have a drink sherry and chill and oh, you know, you know, don't feel too bad about this. You'll be fine. Okay, we're meeting at the opera later. You can just like, just, yes, you know, Dorian is very blase. Visibly, Dorian is visibly just like shaken up by all of this, and George Sanders just won't stop talking and just trying to reconcile it for him and and justify it for him in between just being very nonchalant and blase and casual about, oh, you know, yeah, just join me in a cup of sherry and, you know, you'll feel fine. Don't worry about it. We'll be at the opera later. Just come to our box. It'll be fun. We'll have a good night. And, you know, (laughs) really just trying to, to, to brush it off like nothing. And ultimately I think that's where Dorian realizes, okay, well, maybe I can shut down my feelings so that I don't have to, you know, and let the painting take on all of that that emotion yeah and so i think that's the moment where he's realizing he can kind of do that and use the painting in that way um to really shut down his emotions and kind of listen to uh george sanders in his ear and and do whatever he wants without the consequences doesn't look good for the painting though does it no no especially after we get the the kind of time jump that we have in the in the movie yes um and we come back some years later um to dorian having gone traveling across somewhere presumably mainland europe he's decided to quite said no he's decided to lock the painting away in his attic yes if any servants or anything you know try to go see it or stumble upon it fires them uh, so that nobody can get wind of you know what he has up there, um, so he's very it, much secret about before it. Before or after? Well, it must be after actually that Basil wants to 
display the painting. So yes, because at the beginning, this uh, Basil, uh, Basil, Basil said he would never display it. Like he, you know, this was a very kind of personal piece for him. Um, but now he wants to kind of show it off and people are asking about it. George Sanders is asking about it. Is this before or after the time jump? I think this is after. I think it's after, isn't it? The time jump. Because everybody's got slightly older. George Sanders has got slightly grayer. Basil's niece is now grown up Donna Basil's Reed. Basil's niece is Donna Reed. Basil's got slightly grayer. And Dorian looks exactly the same. And nobody's seen him for a good few years. Mm -hmm. And everybody's giving it the whole oh dorian haven't you aged well and dorian must be thinking to himself i haven't aged at all it's the painting yes yeah good skin he never says routine. that yes yeah. brilliant dermatologist <laughs> yes. dorian gray um that's that's actually what this whole story is actually about the, dermatology the successes <laughs> of the moisturizer industry <laughs> Oh yes. It's important. It's important to yes, moisturize. We should have put some moisturizer on that painting. Should have put some moisturizer <laughs> on the painting. When we see the painting after, I mean we've not seen the painting again yet. We've only seen the painting in its pure form and in its slightly sinister first after the first horrible thing he does form. Um it's a little while until we see it in its full horrific horrificness yeah but when we do it's pretty pretty gnarly pretty nasty pretty terrifying really i mean yes. i wouldn't hang that painting up and i like weird things and and way completely different from what we originally saw i mean when we get a look at it it's covered in boils and long scraggly old hair and... like squid tentacles all over yes and like the the surrounding area is like all kind of decaying and, and like it just looks moldy and terrible and yes he's like covered in bumps and boils and yeah it, you and know what it looks these, like the this because evil it's... kind of bug-eyed stare like yes yeah it's terrible. because it's in because we obviously get that kind of showcase of it in color again Yes, and then when we get to see the ugly version of it, it also gets this pop of color as well. Right, so exactly. It feels exactly. like the it's live. Version. Yeah. Exactly. It feels and looks like something that Lovecraft would have come up with. Yeah. In terms of it's just otherworldly kind of alien craziness. Yeah. It certainly doesn't look like it belongs in this movie that's kind of lavishly uh, fancily designed and you know it, it, very british in its tendencies it looks like something from a bizarre 60s horror movie yes, looks like something yeah. from a hammer movie yes it's very like, so just disgusting this monster in this painting than this i i really i was really I was really impressed, actually, because for some reason and somehow I'd never actually come across what the painting looked like in its ugly form in this movie before having seen this movie this week. 
Yeah. I've never come across the actual that in- Yes, I'm surprised. Like, that's not something that's just kind of out there. And then me seeing that kind of depiction in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I thought it was just going to age and take on the age yeah. of him, not take on all of the ugly things he did and yeah. kind of have it not only age, but get ugly. Yeah. So I liked that element. I liked that monstrous element of it decaying and just becoming covered in boils and, and pimples and just looking like this ugly creature. I liked that more more than just kind of getting old and, and kind of turning into this fossil. I mean, it does look just brilliantly horrendous, that painting. I mean... All credit to whoever actually painted that painting for the movie. Yeah. You know, the, the actual artist. Because, my God, they did a, just an outstanding job with that thing. Oh, yeah. Um, now, in, in at risk of us going a little bit long, Janine, I did want to get into a little bit of a, of oh, a yes. day, shall you? But <laughs> yes. how, does, how does the story of Dorian Gray end? Um, so he ultimately ends up killing... Basil he ends up seeing the painting he shows him he can't believe like what has happened he doesn't recognize it until he sees his own signature on it he realizes what's going on he's sitting at the table just kind of confused and distraught and like we get a narration of everything that's going on in Dorian's head you know he's my most beloved friend but I can't trust him with this information he could go tell people you know I don't want to do this but I have to to keep the secret and he ends up killing Basil stabbing him in the back and we have the like there's this overhead light and the swinging yeah. of the light and the shadow of, of you know him killing him and the shadow of the like the, the painting you can see just right behind Dorian so it's like this kind of juxtaposition of the true him all his sins and then this beautiful version of him you know standing over this body there it's just very much silhouetted the, yeah. the swinging light creating these great beautiful silhouettes and shots like the murder of Basil is kind of beautifully filmed and some really smart lighting tricks and it really and, and is like that yeah it's such a good horror scene as well yeah I mean, there's a lot of the a lot of the horror of the picture of Dorian Gray is very internal. It's very it's moral horror. It's personal horror. It's not kind of extroverted horror. Yeah. That scene is. That scene's very kind of in your face, horrifying. Yes, and then more deaths are kind of happening around him. Um, Sybil. Uh... Uh, Angela Lansbury's character her brother has wanted vengeance for her yes. suicide for years when Dorian comes to town back to town after all these years he sees him and tries to kill him but ultimately someone convinces him this can't be the same guy you know look how young he looks Yeah, a- and then the brother ultimately dies um, he Death's black- following him yes um, he blackmails somebody to get rid of Basil's body and then the guilt that that man feels from having to do this he ends up killing himself and then you see like blood on the hands of the painting it's getting worse I mean you think how could it get possibly worse yes it becomes bloodier yes and it's always this huge and so he he ends up kind of sending these correspondence around to make it look like Basil has gone to Paris 
and uh so he can kind of have this easy moment of people not realizing what has happened yeah he it, you know donna reed has obviously you know her child smittenness has grown into this love for him now in adulthood and she's just kind of wanting to marry him uh so he kind of has this moment of you know he's letting the painting he feels awful for what he's done. He's feel awful for all these deaths happening around him, but he ultimately lets the painting take on that guilt. He decides to ask uh, Donna Reed to marry him and things are great until the guilt now is just eating at him, eating at him. It's too much for him. He can't take it. We're all there saying, no, Donna Reed, don't do it. Donna Reed. He, he sends her a similar civil letter telling her he can't be with her. He's doing, but it not as mean. He's telling, no, this one's like, Believable. I'm doing this for your own sake. I'm doing this to yeah. protect you. I'm doing this, to, you know, I've done terrible things. And if you find out what I've done, you will not want to be with me. So please just leave. This is Donna Reed's not weird game. Yes. She's with Henry. Or she's with, uh, uh, you know, George, George Sanders. And yeah. Um, so they all, they're like, she's like, I'm not taking this for an answer. We're going to go over and see what's going on with him. He's in the attic kind of, having this tug of war emotionally with this painting he doesn't know what to do then he realizes he just has to destroy it he has to end it he stabs the painting through the heart which ends up killing him and he stabs the painting through the heart which ultimately means he's just stabbed himself in the heart yes which he falls over in pain and he he slowly dies as Every George Sanders and Donna Reed all kind of come in and they see his body laying there, but the body now is the one covered in boils and looking ugly. So his now laying dead body is the monstrous painting and the painting has been restored to yes. his natural self because this this uh, man who was in love with Donna Reed, he was, you know, kind of her second choice guy. Um, once she got engaged to Dorian, he kind yes. of was like, he always was very mistrusting of Dorian. So he kind of did some investigating. He got a servant to make him a key to the attic. He snuck into Dorian's house. He saw the the disgusting painting. He saw Basil's signature on it and goes to tell Donna Reed. And she kind of doesn't understand. She's like, you know, how could it be my uncle's work? He would never paint anything like that. And so that's when they already kind of have an idea of what's going on. And then he, she gets the letter that he is breaking up with her stay away from me so when they all come in to the attic to see his dead body they're looking grotesque like the painting they all kind of put it together and yeah that's kind of how it ends doesn't george sanders end the movie with one last little bit of philosophy though for us some th- he, he ends the movie with some sort of line i actually forget what he was now but it's one of those kind of sympathetic. <laughs> so oh. it's like, and so twas beauty killed the beast kind yeah, of lines. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Um, yeah. I remember thinking it was exactly like that. I forget what it was now. That's so yeah, annoying. I can't remember. <laughs> but there was definitely one last little bit of philosophy from George Sanders yeah. right at the end of this movie. I so thought it was, was a great movie. The beast. Yes, no, I really, I really enjoyed this story. I liked the slow burn horror. I liked the horror because, yeah, like I was just expecting this painting just to look like an old, decaying old man, but to have it be this grotesque, monstrous thing and having, you know, illuminating it with this color in this black and white world yeah. just gave it this other kind of solely kind of scary life um and made you kind of feel that the tragic magic <laughs> yeah. of, of tragic this magic. painting <laughs> yes of this painting um 
and just Basil's death shot. Like the, probably yeah. the most horror shot of the whole movie was just filmed brilliantly. Um, Heard Hatfield really? definitely, like I said, this kind of delicate aggression in him, uh, this robotic beauty, you know, stoic kind of person, perfect for this role. George Sanders just great uh, in this supporting role as well. Yeah, I, I I really enjoyed this movie. I really liked the horror gothic aspects of it, um, and yeah, it was kind of just this one little piece of a character that I kind of was aware of, and so to kind of see the full fledged story, I thought was just really great. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you know what this movie is also? A proponent of deep focus cinematography. Yes. Yes. And you know yes. what else this movie is? What? The great source of a terrible remake. A terrible remake. Well, let's do a little bit of yeah, a deja, deja vu. vu. Right. Deja, vu. Deja, yeah. vu. deja vu. Deja vu. Deja vu. Yeah, Ooh. but not yeah. No, no, because it's awful. It's yes. so bad. What on earth were they doing in yes, 2009 they... when they decide to release a Dorian Gray movie starring Ben Barnes and yes. Colin Firth and just make it weirdly sex-focused? Yes. So instead of kind of doing very awful things and, and murderous things, our Dorian Gray in this film is just basically a slut who's just going around yes. sleeping with a bunch of people and that is what's making the painting deteriorate and get turned monstrous because he's just being very much sexually open and calling uh, first Egging him on all the time. Yes, and Colin Firth is the one who opens him up. Colin Firth takes him, who's the George Sanders character, takes him to like this underground sex den. And mind you, it still takes place in Victorian London. Oh, he these places to, existed. Takes, I don't, I don't deny that these places definitely existed in Victorian London, but I just don't know why. But I don't think open so focused on the, the sexual aspects, and I don't think. <laughs> being openly sexual even though that was improper at the time is is worthy of this painting to is worthy no, or sinful enough he was, and it's not like he was and it's not like he was even like cheating on somebody no, or betraying he was, anybody he was a perfect <laughs> he, he was a single man perfectly happily just going about his sexual adventures which is exactly. more he's more than allowed and i guess they thought they were honoring oscar wilde in some way kind of having him have like this sexy tension with the basil character he kisses basil and they make he out does, and he you know does, touch yes. parts and things he has this kind of sexual kind of vibe with uh Colin Firth, George Sanders' character as well. But we like, had this. We had this sexual orientation ambiguity in the 1945 version, and it was just the subtlety of it worked so much better than this kind of him just making out with Basil. Like I don't yeah, very very aggressive yeah. kind of shows everything attitude that this movie had. Yes, he was just a. Uh... A fuck boy. Like he I lost count. <laughs> I lost count, Janine, of the of the of the amount of nipples I saw in this yes, movie. Yes, he literally just ran around sleeping with a bunch of people, and that was enough for the painting to like decay. I mean And the that, way the painting but I mean, decays. <laughs> what's going on there? How can you have in 1945 a painting that decays in such a gloriously horrendous just the most indescribably brilliantly awful fashion 
that that painting in the 1945 version decays as to then go in the 2009 version and make it just turn a little bit cracked and gray and then it comes alive with terrible and it, cgi uh, and what's that about and it all oh <laughs> moves it around looks, it looks so bad <laughs> it looks just horrendous why why does it move around why all of a sudden is it like the screaming book from harry potter and the philosopher's stone coming out of its own canvas yeah it looks What's so, going on it looks awful um yeah and just basically him uh kind of indulging in sexual depravity is is enough to warrant the kind of same awful things that were depicted in the original film uh i don't even it, mind ben barnes as dorian gray i quite i don't i quite like him his version of dorian gray i, I, I thought he was a more kind of emotional version a more yeah. kind of human feeling version you still got the same sympathy because the characterization of everybody is virtually the same but it's it's just the style of this movie the um, uh, the attitude towards the stories themes that this movie had compared to the 1945 version are just so almost exploitative almost like yeah. oh, show depravity like that's not really what the picture of Dorian <laughs> no i don't think so I, like you wanted it to be more uh you wanted him to feel a little bit more cold you wanted to feel like the painting was making him feel more indifferent to doing awful things in those moments and he wasn't doing much else but just kind of sleeping with a bunch of people. You know, there's some bizarre <laughs> editing in this in, in that movie as well. Yeah. Like, some of the cross-fadey sex scenes. Yes. Really weird. Montages of him just making out with several different women and, and undoing corsets and <laughs> there's so many sex scenes as well. Yeah. Sex montages to show oh the the deplorableness of sex in the time the Victorian era. How dare you so sinful? And the paintings decaying off of that. Like okay, I mean which, we do which... have the storyline of the of falling in love with the singer and then dumping her, and we got all of that. Yes, um, yes, we do. And the suicide, and then he and but then they turned the Basil's niece character into the uh daughter they, they gave the the george sanders character colin first character a family now he has a yes. wife and a child and his child is rebecca hall who ends up growing up to be kind of the donna reed character so why did they do why, that character didn't, didn't need a family he seemed like he was very much kind of i'm social single man doing what i want to do so, so to give that and, and then all these doing all these underground kind of sex things and bringing dorian into that so to make him like this family man was just like why why did they need to do that i said about a minute ago it doesn't really change the characterization of any of the characters i told a lie it does because yeah. henry in this movie is completely different yeah completely 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 different to george sanders henry like he's why, at the beginning he, he, he cannot that character cannot have a family. That's, no. that's just goes against he's his entire character. But now he's like the architect. He's like the architect of, of and, and he's in cahoots and scheming more with Dorian than, than kind of 
pointing him in the direction and then letting Dorian kind of make these it's, bad decisions on his own. Almost, it's almost as though this movie treats Henry as the villain rather than the systems in place as the villain. Yes. The peer pressure and as the villain. The yes. Dorian's kind of Dorian's kind of fragile attitude. understanding of things and looking for guidance and getting guidance in the wrong place. Instead That's of kind what of the playing villain Yes, no, they wholly kind of try to make Henry Colin Firth's character the villain. Um, but then try to give him this family for some kind of it's sympathy. Really weird. And then he gets very defensive in Dorian trying to be with his daughter and so that's another weird element thrown in there um so it's just i I don't know why they just chose to make that change no they chose to make sex kind of the dirty sinful thing that would deteriorate this painting which Which really does just rub me the wrong way because like but i mean if you're gonna take that turn of showing sex in this very kind of open freeing way then why condemn it and and illustrated as a sin like that the movie the movie is is hypocritical of itself yes and if you're going to show kind of gay male sex in 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 some kind of uh tribute to the writer of the source material you're not you're taking that away you're completely negating that by making it this negative guilt guilt sinful thing that's making the painting deteriorate when he feels guilty or sinful about the things he's done. So I you're, think, I don't you're, think you're Oscar Wilde watching <laughs> yes. Dorian Gray 2009 will be like, oh, I'm so glad these two men are kissing. I don't but think no, he'd be it, saying that at all. <laughs> but then they're also depicting it as wrong because the but painting is just getting, yes. So I don't know what this movie was trying to do. I don't know what it was trying to say. Just go watch 1945 because this movie was really crap. Like, this is probably stealing the spot from Fled. <laughs> as no, no, worst. I don't think it's that. <laughs> I bad. mean, I, I it's it's close for me. It's I, I don't think it's this. that bad because I. I mean, top three bad. for me, worst Look. ones we've covered is probably Fled, Rear Window, and this is in the top three at least. See, I never even watched the Rear Window. <laughs> the TV, TV remake with Christopher Reeves. Yes, it's pretty bad. Look, the movie fled. I am so emotionless about <laughs> that. I consider that I have to consider that the objectively worst movie because this movie is not necessarily badly made. I just think it took a bizarre direction it stayed consistent with that direction it was not poorly acted yeah there was some dodgy cg in there and i don't really know why that happened there was some weird changing of certain characters and i don't really know why that happened but fled was a yeah. bad movie. Considering how good the source material was, the performances in that, the story of that, the defiant ones, like so bad. I will never one, forgive I, that movie for, for being for tacking its thing on to a great movie like the defiant ones. But also let's fled. Let's get fled. Just, like let's what does get that mean? Fled that makes is no just... sense. That grammatically sounds like it makes no 
it's like a three-year-old's written the script. Yes. So it's Whereas really this bad, movie, but this movie's more it's is more coherent. Like, You're correct. It's it's a little more coherent, but you know, Fled's just... like a three-year-old's written the script. This Dorian Gray remake is like a twelve-year-old has just read the picture of Dorian Gray and just thought, "Oh, we can make it all about sex." Or a sixteen, seventeen-year-old boy wrote it and decided yes. to make it all about sex. Yeah. Um. Yes. I just for me, it was just very hard to watch after seeing this great forty-five film and then kind of going into this and seeing how they chose to depict the thing that is is causing the painting to deteriorate as just a bunch of sex that was just very stupid and infuriating and annoying that that was what would cause kind of the, the decay of this painting yes. um so that was just extremely annoying to me to a degree that i was just like i can't even finish this like like i could at least kind of get through fled and like laugh at how stupid it was uh but this i just was like what are you why why like, I still think I still why? think you're forgetting the Twelve Angry Men remake that was just uh, that was just word. boring. It was just word <laughs> for word, the same exact dialogue delivered the, <laughs> delivered very, so poorly. Yes, by great actors. It was so just boring. Yes, it was. Anyway, William Friedkin. Ugh, why? <laughs> why William Friedkin? You're great. Why would you do that? I think we're going to have to just do another episode just dissecting the worst. I know we've talked about them before on specials, but hey, we're coming up to 250 soon. <laughs> well, not not a massive amount of time off. A few months, I think, aren't we away from, yes. from 250 yeah. or a couple of months? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> not a good, a, a weird their depiction of this this really interesting story. What a wonderful I'll, I'll take the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Ooh. of Dorian Gray over this I think that's remake. a bold statement out I of mean, Janine there. That That is yeah. a bold statement. Yes. A wonderful 1945 adaptation of the picture of Dorian Gray, though it has to be said, and a great installment in our horror for October on It's a Wonderful Podcast, Janine. Yes. <laughs> Yes, excitement. Well, <laughs> next week is the last week of October, or it's the last. Um, it's the last main show yes. of October. Is it the last main? It is the last main show. It of is October. Mm-hmm. We're back to a retrospective. We opened the month with the Willard and Ben. Great, great episode. Yes. Truly, <laughs> one of my favorite episodes ever. Of it's a wonderful podcast. Next week, we're taking a look at the history of The Thing. With The Thing from Another World, 1951. John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982. And that ridiculous prequel thing from 2010. Yeah. (laughs) So, there'll be two movies that we probably rather like. Now, I've never seen The Thing from Another World. I've never seen that or the prequel. I have, in fact, seen the prequel thing. It's not very good. (laughs) The thing John Carpenter, however, is unbelievably good. Yes. So it's very interesting as a retrospective. This prequel goes right up to, like, how we get to where we are at the beginning of the thing, right? It does. It does, I think so. Okay. Yeah. With all its CGI. Um, 
with actual cool practical Yeah, like effects. literally, I think, you know, the dog that we see at the beginning of the thing. We, we show see how at the end yeah. of yeah. the prequel. I'm, I'm pretty sure we do. Okay. Anyway, um, that is what's coming up next week on It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show. Janine, it is not the only show we have on this podcast feed, though, is it? It is not. Of course, we have our Monday show, Monday Madness with Morgan and Machine. Uh, it is our YouTube show. And also on this very podcast feed, we have really fun discussions, our chill show. We talk about latest movie news, what's going on, things that interest us. We get into a really fun middle topic of, you know, our favorite kind of movies, ranking lists, all kinds of fun things. And then we play some fun games. So check out our chill Monday show on our YouTube channel where you can also find some fun watch alongs, videos from Morgan and I, movie reviews, movie collection videos, all kinds of fun stuff on the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel. But you can also find it on this very podcast feed uh, every Monday. And of course, Morgan hasn't seen every Wednesday where I force Morgan to watch movies he hasn't seen. I'll pick a fun genre or a franchise uh, of films Morgan hasn't seen and we'll discuss. We spent all October talking the Purge movies, so that's been really fun. Spooky season discussion for sure on Morgan hasn't seen right here on this podcast feed every Wednesday. Yes, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have you covered on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Amazon Music, and everywhere else. Subscribe and subscribe and ding a notification bell over on the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel for all those fun things Janine mentioned before. We already spoke about the Patreon and the donation link before they are there, if you are feeling particularly generous. Janine, you can find the show. Well, you can find the show, but... You guys can find the show as well. Hello, how are you? Um, on Twitter, at It's a Wonderful War, you can find me on Twitter, at the Purple Don, with a three instead of the E and the because, Janine. There is the magic number. On Instagram, at the Purple Don, all your gloriously, devilishly painted stuff is where. You can find me at Janine Debean underscore on Twitter, Janine Debean on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to get any merch for any of our shows, you can find that at our Teespring shop. Just search It's a Wonderful Podcast on teespring.com. We got some fun designs over there for all of our shows, including some fun Stranger Things designs. And if you want to purchase any of my non-spooky art that won't suck away your... (laughs) (laughs) your soul uh you can find some art at my big cartel shop g9 design.bigcartel.com well janine i think there's only one impression that is likely to be asked (laughs) well i think you have to do it for sure i mean i'll try i'll try do your best george sanders okay well i'm going to have to really get deep into the my yes, throat, yes. aren't I like this? This is more like it. Okay. <laughs> no, it's higher than that. It's high. It's really on. Un- it's really. Yes, difficult. it's like this low growl, but this higher. Oh. Kind of. <laughs> Khan, Mowgli. Hello. How are you? Okay. That's fine. That's George Sanders. Yes. Three, two, one. Yes. Bye, Dorian. Bye. Bye. Bye.